Thank you, Gordon and Renee, for our music on this Mother's Day. Welcome to those of you joining us on live stream. I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We read that here in the auditorium a few minutes ago. This is Mother's Day, and I want to talk to you about a mother in the Bible, but her name was Lois. We also have in this passage another mother named Eunice, but I want to center on Lois because Lois uh, meets four requirements that we have here. She was a mother, and she was a grandmother, and she was a widow, and she left a legacy behind her. I want to talk to you about those things from Lois today. I read this week of a second-grade science teacher who uh, had a challenge in front of him to teach his class about magnets and what they are and what they do. So he decided to start this class uh, with a little quiz that he gave his second graders so they could take the quiz first. And the top of it said, who am I? My name begins with M. I have six letters in my name. I'm good at picking things up, and I draw all things to me. They took the quiz, he picked up the paper, and 50% of the students wrote down mother. <laughs> and surely if you had a mother, uh, she would fit that description, wouldn't she? She just uh, drew all things to her and picked a lot of things up. I want to talk to you about Lois in our text today. Uh, Lois was a mother, a grandmother, and a widow, as I said. I had a grandmother, Lois, so this passage always uh, kind of means something to me. My mother's name was Bernice. That's close to Eunice. But every time I read this, I think of uh, my grandmother, Lois. I had another grandmother, of course, named Maud. You don't see those uh, names very often. And uh, all of my, my two parents, my dad and my mother, were only children. So the brothers and sisters were from grandparents, so all of my aunts and uncles were like grandmas and grandparents to me, so it seemed like I had a lot of grandparents uh, growing up. Um, I uh, read a book in the last couple of weeks called You Never Stop Being a Parent, and boy, that is true. Once you're a parent, you're a parent the rest of your life, aren't you? Although parenting is supposed to be a temporary job. That is, uh, you're supposed to raise kids so that they can go out on their own and uh, have their own kids and uh, teach them. But the, the fact is, uh, your child that you have is your lifelong responsibility. You never get away from that responsibility, even though you're teaching them uh, to take on a similar responsibility, a same responsibility when they have children, but even as you're a grandparent, you still have that child that is yours. As a matter of fact, what I've found is uh, that the, uh, the job description changes a little bit, but the time you have to put into it uh, doesn't lessen very much at all. And, and so even as you grow older and your kids have kids, uh, you become the counselor, that's all. Uh, you spend a lot of time uh, talking and admonishing and advising and those kinds of things. And it's great when you come to a day like this that uh, we're in a country, we're in a time where we can set aside a day to think about moms, no matter whether they are grandmas now or young mothers or whoever. We have a, a great responsibility. 
uh, one of our two daughters sent Anne a bouquet of flowers, had them ordered from uh, out of town, out of state, and she has that on her table. And you know why? Because, because uh, she spends a lot of time, though she's a grandma now, still instilling things into her daughters, her adult daughters who have kids themselves. You just never stop doing that, do you? You're always uh, connecting and always advising and those kinds of things. Well, in the Bible, you know Timothy, uh, as we turn to the book of 2 Timothy. As a matter of fact, do you know that that name Timothy appears 24 times in the New Testament? Uh, that's pretty amazing when you think of it. 24 times this young man pops up by name in Paul's writings uh, or in the book of Acts uh, throughout the, the New Testament. But his mother and his grandmother, their names appear one time. And it's here in our passage uh, in verse uh, four, uh, 5, excuse me, where their names appear. And uh, that's why I have as the last point in my outline, you'll notice uh, as you're looking at it, the word legacy. It's not so much about us, it's about what we can produce. It's not so much about our name being there, but wouldn't we love to have our child or our grandchildren's names? Wouldn't we like to see them succeed? Wouldn't we like to see them uh, be the ones uh, to receive uh, honor and glory? And so it's not so much about grandma and about mom in this passage. It's about Timothy and, and what Timothy has become. But in order to look at Timothy, we have to look at this. And so I, I want you to look at Lois because she experienced all of these phases of being a mother. Of course, she has a child here. She's a mother herself. So we're going to start out there with our outline if you follow. So first of all, of course, Lois was a mother. You see in verse 5 where he says, When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, he's speaking, speaking to Timothy, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. So Lois was a mother. Eunice here was her daughter. Now these two ladies uh, uh, at this time, and by the way, Eunice, her daughter, was in an unequal marriage. Do you remember that? That uh, her husband was a Greek, Acts 16 verse 1 says, which probably means he was an unbeliever. There's not a Jewish background nor a Christian background, and uh, we're not even given his name. Uh, so, you know, even Lois's daughter uh, made a decision that probably wasn't the wisest decision at the time. Okay, and yet God is honoring both of them here uh, because of what they went on to do in their life. Paul went on his first missionary journey up into Galatia. If you remember your Bible map, Galatia is above uh, the land of Israel. And he went uh, all the way over to a city called Lystra, and he was stoned at Lystra. Uh, for preaching the gospel. He worked a miracle there, and, and then they turned against him. He was stoned. And uh, yet, we're going to find out in the book of Acts that Lois and Eunice, as well as Timothy, live in Lystra. I can imagine that uh, as Paul was stoned that day, there was Lois and her daughter Eunice, and maybe a young boy or young man named Timothy, standing there watching the apostle be stoned. Pretty, uh, pretty crude and rough uh, culture and, and time that they lived in. 
And yet here was the man that brought them the gospel. Here was the man that preached to them, and they watched that happen. And then as he goes on his second missionary journey, he goes back through Lystra again and probably stays with them in their home and says, I need Timothy to go with me. And Timothy began traveling with the Apostle Paul. Let me say a few things about, about motherhood, if you will. First of all, I want, I want you to remember that marriage is God's design. All the way back to Genesis chapter 2, uh, I want to read you some verses there. And remember this, that we kind of have a, uh, an idea being floated out there in our culture today that, you know, marriage is some kind of invention uh, that maybe we came up with or, or Christians came up with or modern times came up with, but why do we need marriage? Why do we need that at all? Just, you know, kind of group together and be whatever you, you want to be. All the way back to Genesis 2 and verse 18, God said, it is not good that man should be alone. This is in the Garden of Eden before sin ever entered or anything. It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. A beautiful description of a wife and then mother. And in verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept, and he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he also made a woman. Notice as you go through this how many times you hear the word man and how many times you hear the word woman. Jesus, Jesus was surprised even in his day when asked about marriage, and he said, haven't you read at the beginning God made them male and female? He made the man and the woman, and there are no other genders. And so it says that then the rib which the Lord God, he, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. That's the first marriage. And Adam said, now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. There were no other fathers and mothers at the time, but God had, was beginning all of this process. And be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Marriage is God's design. It's God's design that there be mothers. It's God's design that there be fathers. God's design that there would be a family and the unit, the basic unit, is the father, the mother, and the children that are produced from that marriage. Secondly, motherhood, then, is God's design. If marriage is, surely motherhood is. Let me read on a little bit. Genesis 1, uh, 27 and 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And so part of that dominion process that was given to God's creation is given to the man and the woman in marriage that God had invented to multiply, have children, be fathers and mothers, be families, have lots of kids, fill up the earth, he said. Some people do that better than others. In Genesis 3.20, Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And so a wife is a mother. 
and the mother of those living ones that they produce. Marriage is God's design. Motherhood is God's design. Children are a gift from God, right? Do you remember Psalm 127, verse 3? Behold, children are a heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Heritage and a reward. And by the way, did you catch that phrase, the fruit of the womb? Not just of birth, but the fruit of the womb is his reward. That living one inside the womb is God's heritage and God's reward to the woman and the man. And so children then are a gift from God, and children then are to honor their parents. And in our case, as we're talking, honor their mother. Proverbs 1.8 says, My son, hear the instruction of your father, and do not forsake the law of your mother. They shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, chains about thy neck. You've heard me say often, what's the most familiar expression that you heard from mom when she said to do something and you said why? Because I said so, exactly. Because I said so. That's the law of the mother. She knows, and she's your mother, and if that's what she said, uh, do it. And those of you who are old enough to know better, still do it, if that's what your mother said, all right? So children are to honor, and then husbands, if I may, are to protect the wives and the mothers as well as the children. 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, because, of course, she needs your protection, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. And so the husbands have a real responsibility. We'll talk about that more in Father's Day, of course. But uh, I wanted to part just a little bit here because of uh, a wonderful ruling that evidently is going to be made by our Supreme Court to protect that uh, child in the mother's womb. At conception, folks, there is an XX chromosome or an XY chromosome. At conception. And at conception, there is the entire DNA of a new human being, totally different than any other human being, that maps out all of that child's life for the rest of their life at conception. And that little one needs protection. Now, I hear it said a lot in our day, uh, I have the right to do what I want with my own body. Okay, well, how about that little body that's inside you? Do they have the right to do what they want with that little body, which is to live? Absolutely they do. And that mother and that father has a responsibility then to protect that life if you're a mother or you're a father. Okay, so Lois was a mother. Eunice was her uh, child. But secondly, in our verse, in verse 5, your grandmother, Lois, she was a grandmother, and of course, Timothy is her grandson. By the way, she may have had many other grandchildren. Lois may have had, or Eunice, I mean, may have had many other children, and there may have been other sisters or, or sons besides Eunice, so we, we're just not told. Families probably were very large at that time also. The, the Greek word for grandmother is mame, and you might say it shortly, mama. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? It, it's not a very common word. As a matter of fact, 
the English grandmother or grandfather don't, don't appear very often. This is the only verse in the New Testament where you have the word grandmother. And yet what you do have often in the Bible is the expression children's children. Remember that, that expression? Uh, May you see your children's children and peace upon Israel, uh, Psalm 128 says. So if somebody has children's children, then they're obviously a grandparent. So grandma is that way. I, I, uh, uh, you know, the, these, were, these were Jewish people. So Lois and Eunice were Jewish uh, women. Eunice married a Greek, which she probably shouldn't have done, and he probably ran out on the marriage, as, as far as we know. We're not sure. We're not sure who Lois's husband was. But uh, here's what happened uh, to these two ladies. They were good Jewish girls, women. And as families came along, what did Jewish parents do? They taught the Old Testament to their kids and to their children, even their grandchildren. Now, they didn't know specifically about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. They knew the prophecies of it, and, and salvation was coming from the Lord, but they didn't know exactly what that was until somebody comes with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the gospel light comes upon that old Jewish faith, then that faith in God and that faith in God's word and that faith in what God has promised all of a sudden becomes a reality. And these Jewish hearers love it and immediately are attracted to it and accept Christ as Savior because they see him as the fulfillment of everything they've been taught as children. And so one day in Lystra, before he was stoned even, Paul comes into their town, preaches the gospel, and Lois and Eunice uh, hear that, and immediately they gravitate, gravitate to the gospel and uh, accept it and become Christian. Now, look at chapter 3, verse 15, a, a verse that you would also be familiar with in this same book. Paul says then to young Timothy, that from, a, that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures. What does that mean? These two Jewish women had Timothy on their knee from the time he could hear anything, and they were teaching him Bible stories and, and the Old Testament scriptures and the Jewish faith. But they are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And so this wonderful biblical background that had been taught them, when they heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, they readily accepted it, and evidently, of course, Timothy did too. And it seems that uh, Timothy might have uh, accepted Christ as his Savior when Paul came through and preached because Paul calls him, uh, in verse 2, my beloved son and always refers to him as his son. So probably he means in a scriptural, scriptural way. Isn't it a beautiful thing to see a mother and a grandmother accepting the Lord as Savior and then beginning to pass on that faith to their children? There's an old writer named Alexander White, W-H-Y-T-E. He was a Scottish preacher. I've been to his church, as a matter of fact, in Edinburgh, He's long since passed away, of course, 
But uh, he described this process of what must have gone on with Lois and Eunice teaching little Timothy, and he says it like this. She, and, and he's referring to Lois here, she reads and rereads the passage to herself in order to make sure that she understands it herself, after which she prepares and tries them over and over on her own knees. Two or three petitions uh, proper for the child to repeat after her, to which he is to say in his intelligent and hearty, Amen. Here they are practicing, going over the scriptures, saying this is what we want Timothy to repeat. This is what we want him to know. If you had a mother that did that for you, how wonderful that is. Now, by the way, in Acts 16, second missionary journey, Paul's going back into Galatia now a second time. And the first verse says, He came to Derbe and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman, of course, now we know her name, who believed, but his father was a Greek. And so now he goes back into Lystra. Here's Lois. Here's Eunice. They've become believers. Little Timothy has become a believer and maybe either on the first journey or the second by Paul's preaching. And now Paul, maybe Paul stayed in their home. And Paul says, I need a young man to go with me. Would you let Timothy go with me? And it was Lois and Eunice that said, okay, we'll let him go. Which, by the way, was quite a responsibility. He very well could have been the older son uh, that was responsible to the, the mother and grandmother if, mom, if dad and grandpa were already gone. So to let him go uh, with the apostle was a big decision, but they did it. Let me say a few things about grandparents. Number one, a grandparent's first responsibility then is to pass on the faith of Jesus Christ to kids and grandkids. The, the Old Testament is full of these uh, type of admonitions, but let me read you one from Psalm 78, verse 6, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children. The number one primary responsibility, Mom, is to pass on the faith of Jesus Christ to your children. If you don't do that, you failed at the first grade. You failed at the first thing we're supposed to do. And not only to the children, but to the generation after them. You are the, the fountain, if you will, for the teaching of that generation. Secondly, is to maintain a genuine faith. Look back at verse 5 again. Notice that word genuine. Uh, you might have it as unhypocritical or unfeigned. It says, when I call to remembrance the genuine or the unfeigned, unhypocritical faith that is in you, Timothy... And where did you get it from? It dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and then your mother Eunice, all the way back to grandma. That faith was in her, passed on then to another generation, passed on to you. What kind of a faith is it? It's a genuine faith. Unhypocritical is the word. And remember that we get the word hypocrite in the New Testament from the world of acting where an actor would be playing one character and he would pick up that mask and hold it in front of his face and he would be this character for a while. 
Then he'd put the mask down and pick up another mask and hold it in front of his face, and he'd be this character for a while. And then he'd put that down, and he'd go on and so forth. That was to be the hypocrite, that is, to be somebody you're really not. And so the word is often used in the Bible to don't be that as a Christian. Be what you're supposed to be and be always that person you're supposed to be. And so here's Paul saying, you were blessed, Timothy, because your grandmother had a genuine, an unhypocritical faith. She was what she was. She didn't change it for, to, to please this person or to please that person. Her interest was in you to give you a genuine, unhypocritical faith. She passed that on to your mother, and your mother has passed that on to you. What a blessing that is uh, to have that kind of, of heritage that was passed down to you. Number three, you are always parents, grandmas, of the children who now will always be parents. You are always their mother. And I have noticed being a grandfather myself, and uh, uh, Ann and I are grandparents of, of 11 grandchildren, but we're parents of four children. And you know where most of our time uh, goes into? Not into the 11 grandchildren as such, because we kind of have a long distance and a part-time association with the kids. We don't get to see them that often. But I think we talk weekly with those four kids. Uh, we call them, they call us. We're always talking with our four kids, even though they're adults and they have kids now. I'm just saying that you're always a parent and your first responsibility is to that son or daughter because if you pass on that genuine faith to that son or daughter, then they can pass that on to their sons and daughters. And that will always be your first priority. And you will never stop being a parent. Until the day you die, you'll be doing that with your kids. And praise the Lord for that. So therefore, by the way, uh, you're always the counselor. You're, you're always the one, the go-to person that these kids uh, go to. You remember Proverbs 31? King Lemuel is going to give us what's called the Proverbs 31 woman. You know, that great passage about mothers and so forth. King Lemuel the utterance which his mother taught him. My son, quote the quotation now, my son, son of my womb, son of my vows, meaning her marriage vows. Her children shall rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he will praise her. Son of my vows, son of my womb. Always uh, she knows her kids that way. So, the last thing about grandparents that I would say, it's in chapter 4 and verse 7 of our book here, is to finish strong. Here's Paul himself. I have fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. I finished my course. Paul is an older man now. Paul is going to die at the hands of the Romans. But he's saying, I am going to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I will not stop until I break that tape. And what he's passing on to Timothy, and I think also to Eunice and Lois, is don't quit until you get to the end. It's, it's hard. It's tiring. You don't have the energy you used to. 
I went out yesterday and pulled up a few bushes, and I thought I'd run three miles. And I said to myself, I used to do this easily. I had to sit down the shade tree and drink a bottle of water. Good grief. You know, it gets harder, but there's no end to this thing of parenting. Do it till the end. Make sure you have a plan to be that parent or grandparent till the very end. All right, thirdly, Lois was a widow. Well, we're never told about her husband. We have to assume uh, that uh, since he's not mentioned that he died early. That was the common thing in biblical times. That's the normal thing in our times. I mean, even Joseph, the Lord's father, is gone halfway through his life. And uh, it's Mary then that uh, outlives him by quite a bit. Uh, Eunice uh, married whoever that Greek man was, but evidently he's gone by now. It was kind of typical for women to live longer then, and I think that's more normal for us. I read somewhere this week uh, that it was only 100 years ago in our country that the average uh, age of death was 60 years old. So we've improved that quite a bit in the last 100 years. But imagine what it was in older times. I mean, 60 was an older person. You remember Naomi, right, Uh, in the book of Ruth? She outlived not only her husband, she outlived her two sons-in-law. So so, uh, here she was, uh, a widow of three different, uh, of her husband, but two other men that were husbands of her daughters. Now, I want, you, I want you to go back to 1 Timothy chapter 5. Paul has already written that book, but he's going to describe widows for us, and we can apply these things easily to Lois, who was uh, a widow at this time. So 1 Timothy chapter 5, and I want you to notice that uh, who these widows were beginning in verse 3. Honor widows who are really widows. You might have widows indeed. If any widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show piety at home and to repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable to God. Now, verse 5 says, Now, she who is really a widow, and what does that mean? Left alone. In other words, there's no husband there to take care of her. And there may not be uh, any kids around, but she trusts in God and supplications and prayers night and day. Uh, So here's a description of widows who needs the church's help. And that's what Paul is getting at in this chapter. If the family, I'll say in a minute, can take care of her, fine. If not, help this widow because she really is a widow and she's left alone. Now, We're also told in verse uh, 9 that uh, do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number. 60 years old. This is is the age of, of a widow, just 60 years old. Now, if she's really a widow at 60 years old, I'm looking at some of you who are really, really, really widows. If 60 years old is really a widow, well, it was. And again, in that day when, when uh, uh, the mortality rate was a lot lower than it is now, that's kind of what happened. So some widows are really widows, left alone, no family, 
and they need to be taken care of. Notice, secondly, that they should be supported by the family when this is possible. So read verse 4 again, that she's, uh, uh, let them first show piety at home. In other words, if you have a widow and she has no one to take care of her, if you can, as, uh, as members of the family, relatives, or whoever, then do it. Show piety at home and repay their parents, for this is good and acceptable before God. Look at verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. It's a terrible thing in God's eyes to see that your, your mother, uh, who is a widow now and has no other way of earthly support, and there's a child that can take care of her and doesn't, that's a serious thing in God's eyes. Verse 16 also if any believing man or woman has widows, let them relieve them and do not let the church be burdened that it may relieve those who are really widows. And so we see that uh, to the rest of us, if we have uh, uh, parents who are still living, we should do everything we can to take care of them. Now, also in verse 10 of, of 1 Timothy 5, widows should be strong in the faith to be the kind of widow that God wants us to be, well-reported of good works. She has brought up children. She has lodged strangers. She has washed the saints' feet. If she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work, just a description of what a widow should be. Let me ask those of you who are older mothers and grandmothers and now widows, is that your life? Or did you get to this time in your, in your life and you just kind of gave up and said, well, I did my work. It's all past me now. Uh, I'll just let down and uh, not do much for God because all of my time is behind me. Not these widows and not what Paul is talking about. These were uh, ladies who lived like this to the very end. So uh, they're strong in the faith. They're a blessing to the church. You know, my, my thought went to a woman named Anna. Do you remember her in Luke chapter 2? This widow named Anna. Let me read these verses in Luke 2.36. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years. In other words, she was only married seven before he died. And this woman was a widow for 84 years. In other words, they'd be celebrating their 95th wedding anniversary had he been alive. No wonder he died. That was a long time ago. Who did not depart, listen to her, she did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. That long. <laughs> Would you be coming to your 91st uh, uh, anniversary had you not been a widow and still serving God that strong? And yet she, her name is mentioned specifically for that reason. Now, my wife's name is Anna, and if I'd probably get out of her way, she might make it uh, that, that long. Uh, I think so. But she, she would serve God in God's church, and we all should, right, as long as we live. So uh, here she is, uh, Lois, being this kind of a widow, and God 
singles her out. So let me move to my last thought here, if you will, and that is Lois was a legacy. I mean by that she leaves behind some important heritage, some important people. I was reminded of Matthew chapter 26, where Mary, there in Bethany, takes some ointment and breaks the bottle of ointment and pours it upon the Lord's head. Very expensive. And when she did that, uh, Judas especially and some of the others said, oh, don't waste that ointment. Don't break that bottle and waste that ointment. And the Lord stops them, if you remember. And the Lord says, she's done a good work. She's anointed me for the burial. And then he said this, wherever this gospel is preached, this will be a memorial to her. And the reason we read that in Matthew 26, every time we read Matthew, is because the Lord said, this was something good she did, and I'm going to put this in my word so that 2,000 years from now, when people read the book of Matthew, they'll read about what Mary did. Well, you know what I thought? Back here in our, in our chapter, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, God must have said, I'm going to put Lois's name in the Bible as a memorial so that every time you read the book of 2 Timothy, you will read what a grandma was like and what a mother was like. And so there it is in this book for us as a memorial. Now, I want you to notice a few things about this type of legacy. And by the way, verse 3, Paul also said from his point of view, uh, you know, this, this faith that I have with a pure conscience, I have kept from my forefathers without ceasing, with a pure conscience. And so he could say this same thing, of course, Paul could. But here is Lois saying this. I want you to notice thing. First of all, the faith dwelt in her first. If you're going to have a legacy, it has to start with you. And so you have in verse 5 that word first. Maybe you're the first believer in your family. Maybe you're the first one to start this, this legacy. The, the faith began with her first and then went to other people. If you're going to have a legacy, it has to start somewhere and it has to spread out to somewhere. And so it started with her first. Secondly, it moved to her daughter because then it says uh, also to Eunice. So she passed on the faith to her daughter, taught her diligently, led her to a faith in Christ, and then thirdly to the grandson, in this case, Timothy, of course, and we find again in chapter 3, verse 15, that description of how they passed on this faith to him even when he was a child. So, uh, and, and I said, by the way, if Timothy was the firstborn, then he had a double portion of the heritage as a Jewish family, which meant he was the one that would eventually support his mother and grandmother as long as they were alive. And Paul comes along and says, will you let him go with me? And they said, okay, if God wants him, we'll give him up. I thought of Hannah too, you know, who, who wanted a child and her firstborn came along who was Samuel. But Hannah had said, if you'll give me one child, I'll give him back to you. The firstborn that I have, who would have been my support, I'll give him to you. And she did it. And in a similar way, Lois and Eunice also, giving up their firstborn, perhaps I think he was, and he went with them. I want to read you one other statement from old Hanley Mule, 
who about 100 years ago wrote this. He said, Oh, beautiful heredity, where the Lord has so blessed the influence of the holy elder life that its very type is repeated in the younger, so that in a certain sense the son has not faith only, but the parents' faith. So it was with Timothy, so it may be, so it shall be in the generations of the faithful even to the end of the days. This is, folks, if you want to be involved in biblical evangelism, I guarantee you the number one way and God's first way is to pass on your faith to your children, to have children who will be believers in Jesus Christ and live forever in his presence with you. You'll see your children's children. And for us to win our families to the Lord is our first responsibility in evangelism. Can you imagine what the world would be now if every Christian who had children led those children to the Lord and those children led their children to the Lord? Think of what the world would be if evangelism had taken place that way. That's our first and foremost responsibility. So here, Lois and Eunice give even their firstborn to the Lord. There's, you remember the words of that song, uh, May all who come behind us find us faithful? That will be our legacy. That will be what we need in this world and what we need for the Lord. Now, we read through 6 and 7. So just in a final thought, therefore... Paul says to young Timothy, I remind you, first of all, stir up the gift of God which is in you. Therefore, because of what I've said even about your mother and your grandmother, you have that genuine faith. Stir it up. Live like your mother did. Live like your grandmother did. Don't get out of the race. Get in the race. Stir up the gift of God. And Paul can say as an apostle, I gave you certain gifts by the laying on of my hands onto you, and you received those gifts. But I think in a very way, Lois had her hands, and, and Eunice had her hands on that little boy in the reading of Scripture and the leading of faith. Your mother had her hands on you, and your grandmother had her hands on you. Stir up that faith that's been given to you. And secondly, in verse 7, because God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love, and a sound mind. Your mother had it. Your grandmother had it. Why should you fear of things in this life? Why should you fear of what life is going to bring you when you see their example, how they walked with the Lord? What a wonderful thing that is. I want to leave you with this personal illustration. I've done a lot of funerals, and I've done a lot of funerals for Christian grandmas and grandpas. You know, who, you know who's crying at the funeral of a grandmother? The children and the grandchildren. If everybody else's eyes are dry in that room, those grandchildren's eyes tear up to think that that's their grandmother and now she's gone and she's not going to be with us anymore. You know why? Because they know what she was saying to them. They know what kind of life she lived. And even at those young ages to think she's not here anymore makes them tear up. Now, Grandma, you want that to happen at your funeral. You want to live to the end and serve God to the very end. 
so that you leave that legacy with those little ones to carry on this faith to the next generations. And I hope and pray that you will. And us children, be strong and don't be afraid. They live this life, we can live it too. Stand now with me if you will. As we stand and go to the Lord in prayer, sing a song in just a moment, we'll ask the Lord to apply these things to our lives and our hearts this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Mother's Day, that we have such a time that we can single out uh, these wonderful women uh, who have, through the years, passed on the faith of Jesus Christ, and to many of us in a very personal way. So, Father, I pray that uh, you would speak to every heart here, not just mothers and grandmothers, but to all of us who have been blessed by what you started in marriage and family. And so, Father, help us in this day in which we live, in a difficult day in which we live, to continue to pass on this faith through faithful families, that we might honor those who have gone before us, especially our mothers and grandmothers. So, Father, bless as we sing this song. Apply these words to our hearts. Move us or change us in the way that you will. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a song of invitation. I'm always here at the front. If you need to come as we sing, I'll meet you here at the front. Let's take care of what God has laid on your heart from God's word or immediately after the service. You do what the Lord's leading you to do. Gordon will come and lead us in the song.